I like the ending to that. Actually, well, would y'all join me in doing this? I didn't get to shake hands with everybody before the service, and so that's a way that we can do that. Also, let's just raise them up a little higher and do this. We made it to 2023. Thank you, Jesus, right? I mean, who else is ready to put 2022 in the rearview mirror? Okay, I'm among friends today. Well, it is good to be in the house of the Lord to start this new year off right. And I was thinking about the new year, and as we were driving this morning through some pretty dense fog, Landon looks and he says, you know, the fog just kind of is like 2023, isn't it? And I was like, okay, I like where you're going there. He's like, you can't see what's ahead until you almost get there. It, it, there's a lot of uncertainty and that we don't know what's ahead, but as you get a little closer, more revealed. And so I, I hope that that's the case for us, that even though 2023 is filled with uncertainty, that we will trust God in the process of leading us. And when we get to where he wants us to go, we will see things clearly. And then we'll, by faith, move forward and see things more clearly. And by faith, we will see things more clearly. Well, today, I want us to think in terms of pressing on. There would be kind of a temptation for some of us to realize what we've been through in 2022 and just be like, all right, enough's enough. I, I, I'm, I'm weary. I'm tired. But here we are, January the 1st, 2023, and we need to press on. Reminds me of uh, growing up in just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. I had a best friend. I don't know how many of you, you grew up with folks in your neighborhood, and they were your playmates. They were your best friends. They were your confidants. Every moment that I had waking up as a young boy was spent with Robbie Knuckles. He lived three doors down. He was my best friend. And, and we had a just kind of a closeness and a bond. And because we were so close, we were really competitive. It didn't matter if it was basketball or football or wiffle ball in the backyard. We just wanted to win. And, and ultimately, we just wanted to beat each other so that we had bragging rights. One day, we decided it was late in the fall, probably 1978, 79, somewhere in there, that we were going to create an obstacle course in my backyard. Well, in the fall, we had about a billion trees in my backyard and my dad didn't want them to stay on the ground. He wanted us to rake the yard. And so we had all the leaves that had ever fallen back over a little hillside and it's where everybody in the neighborhood came to jump in the leaves, all right? It was, it was massive. You could dive, you could do whatever you wanted. You'd never get hurt because there was like six to eight foot of leaves. It was, it was amazing. And so Robbie and I were like, you know what? Let's create an obstacle course that ends with us diving into the leaves. And so we set up where you had to crawl up underneath a picnic table. And then you had to weave in and out of some trees and some clothesline poles because back in the day, that's how mom dried the, the clothes was on the clothesline, right? And, and then we had to sprint at full speed the majority of the yard. And then my dad had a, a garden in the back and he had this little chicken wire fence around it. And so you had to hurdle one into the garden and take a couple steps and then hurdle your way out on the other side of the fence. And then you had two or three strides and you just belly flopped into a massive pile of leaves. And Robbie went first. Now Robbie went probably a buck 25 soaking wet. He was scrawny and spiny and fast and he, he just flew. 
But that day, for some reason, I don't know if he slipped or if he just was slow and taking it easy, I realized there was an opportunity here for me to beat him in this obstacle course. Because you can look at me and tell I can run like the wind <laughs> on a very still day. Okay? And so I started out, and I flung my way down up underneath that picnic table, and I army crawled my way through, and I jetted through all of the little slalom things that we had set up, and I sprinted, and my hair, I must have had new shoes on, because you always run faster with new shoes. My hair was actually flopping in the wind, and I took the first jump, and I hurdled, I cleared that hurdle by at least two foot, and I took two steps, and as I went to jump, I didn't manage the steps correctly, and my front foot hit the fence about midway up, and I went straight down, bam, and it knocked every piece of breath I had in me. I was like, and you can't kind of take air in, but I knew that I had a good time, and so in the midst of, I jumped up, I took two steps, and I flopped into a very dusty pile of leaves, that once I did get my breath, I sucked in all of this trash into my lungs and I was coughing and spitting and hacking. And when I finally was able to get up out of the dust and the dirt and the leaves, I look at Robbie and I say, what was my time? Oh man, I forgot to hit the stopwatch. <laughs> Robbie's clock showed straight zeros. All of that effort, all of that, that perfect run wasted it was wasted there was nothing to show for it have you ever been there maybe 2022 was your year of striving and running and doing everything you could and you tried your hardest but after tons of effort and striving nothing it's frustrating isn't it when you're not sure who's keeping score and if they're doing it right, what they're measuring or what the rules are, it happens all too often in life and sometimes it happens in faith. There seems to be some ver a variety of rules or standards or metrics to follow. Today, I want us to look into a scripture written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi that he grew from just a tiny seed. It was a church he planted, and it grew quickly. And, and I just want to give you a little background. Paul's writing this letter to the church in Philippi from jail. So this is a prison epistle. And the overarching theme of this letter is joy. He loves and appreciates these people. They are near and dear to his heart. And he writes to thank them for their support of his ministry and to encourage them in their faith. And in the midst of this hardship, this imprisonment, Here's Paul's mind turning these people that are near and dear to him, and he writes them. Remember chapter 1 where he says, um, I, I thank my God in, in every remembrance of you. And then over in chapter 2, he's like, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And then we get to chapter 3, and he goes, beware of the dogs. Beware of... The evil workers. It seems kind of out of place. It's, it's love, it's joy, it's, it's wonderment, it's, it's thank you, thank you, thank you, and then it's beware of the dogs. Beware of evil doers, evil workers, the people who put confidence and their faith in the flesh. And he says, we 
Philippian people, my people, God's people. We put no confidence in the flesh. And then here's where the scripture starts up in Philippians chapter 3. I want to start at verse 4 and then go on for a while. If anyone has mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here we can find Paul's idea of a scorecard. We, we see three distinct things about Paul's faith, and I want to just take a moment to unpack those with you this morning. While others were putting confidence and emphasis in the flesh, Paul says, you know what, I recite my performance and my pedigree, and in this moment you can kind of get a sense of Paul popping his collar. You know what, if anybody's got confidence in the flesh, who has two thumbs and confidence in the flesh? This guy, that'd be Paul right there. But he, he basically was reciting his resume. He was like, listen, I, I've seen it all, I've done it all. He cited how he was circumcised as an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says, from the tribe uh, of Benjamin, a Hebrew of uh, Hebrews. It's kind of like he was a member of who's who of Judaism. He had gotten to the place where he was inducted into an honor society of sorts. And his faith was all about the law. And if faith could be achieved on merit and works and effort, Paul was the poster child, the success story of it all. Paul says, I was found blameless. It's interesting to me that he says, I was found blameless and not faultless. He, he understands. He, he's got some flaws to him, but as far as anybody putting him on trial, they could not put a blame to him, and they couldn't find him guilty. He was blameless. So really what he's thinking is, according to those who put confidence in the flesh, it doesn't get any better than me being a zealous, righteous Pharisee. And according to their scorecard, Paul was the man. Back in his day, he built all of his faith early on on the law. Which makes me think, 
What are we building our faith on? What's your faith built on? God wants us to think about that this morning. Is our faith built on our family of origin? Well, my mama was a Christian and my great-grandma was a Christian and my grandma was a Christian, so I guess I'm a Christian. Or I'm born in the United States, so I guess I'm a Christian just by nationality. But you know what? God doesn't have any grandchildren of the faith, and he doesn't bring us in based on our citizenship. It's all based on what we do with Christ. Do we base our faith on works or deeds? Do we try to obey the rules? Do we try to be a good person? Do we try to attend church? All of those things are nice and they're good, but they're not going to get you to heaven. They're, they're attempts to be good and to be righteous, but they're all based in the flesh. And Paul said to the Ephesian church in his letter there in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he, he reminds them that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So Paul is listing out his his achievements and his accomplishments. He's looking at his performance and his pedigree. He touts the run that he had, the performance that he's given. And then he kind of switches gears when we get to verse 7. Instead of reciting his performance and his pedigree and, and finding it what everybody would think was the highlight and, and what everybody should attain to, he starts recounting in, in point 2, the futility of those past efforts. He looks at all of it that he's accomplished, all that he's done, and he's like, you know what? It's worthless. All of that striving, all of that trying, all of that effort, all of those works were nothing. In fact, he says, everything that I thought was good and profitable and excellent, all of those things that I considered gains in my spiritual bank account, held absolutely no value. Those things were actually losses. It was like a rope of sand. It looks good, but when you reach for it, there's nothing there. It's insignificant. And he goes on and he says, basically, I count everything loss in view of gaining Christ. You notice how it was loss and gain and then gain and loss? He's wanting to make a point here. That's why he flips it back and forth. What I thought I had gained was actually loss, but I count everything loss because I've gained Christ. And I've been made righteous, not by the law, but by God through faith. All of my effort and my performance gets me nowhere. It's like he remembered the words of Isaiah 64, 6, that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Even our best efforts and the best we can muster up is not going to meet God's standard. See, Romans 3.10, Paul, Paul kind of says that to the Roman church. There is no one righteous, not even one. Nobody's going to get there based on their merits and their works because all have sinned, as he says in 6.23, and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Sin is actually an archery term, meaning missing the mark. Our best efforts at hitting the bullseye are for naught. It's never going to get there. And once he experiences Christ and he has that moment there on, on the road to, to Damascus, he understands 
that he has experienced Christ and grace. Now, instead of him putting all of his effort and all of his eggs into the basket of works, we see his main desire and his solitary focus is becoming more and more the person God wants him to be. He says, my focus now is knowing him. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. He says, I want to know him, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. See, that deals with the, the past. All of those things that are back there in the rear view, it deals with our sin, it deals with our faults, our failures, our, our, our successes even. All of those things that we counted good or bad or ugly, Paul says, I put that in the rearview mirror because I want to know the power of his resurrection that redeems all of that and restores me to a life with God. I want to know him. I want to know the power that sets me free from my past. But then he says, I also want to press on so that I may have the fellowship of his suffering, that I may be conformed to his death. That deals with present and future. It's the invitation that Jesus gives us all to discipleship, right? If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Fellowship of sufferings being conformed to his death. And then Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death so that I can attain to the resurrection from the dead. And Paul's not just meaning pie in the sky by and by one day. No, he's talking about being brought from death into life in this world, in the here and now. That that, that same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead can quicken our mortal bodies, set us free from sin and slavery to it, and enable us to attain to grace and walk with power. Paul's saying, you know what, I look at my past and it's worthless. All of my efforts and my striving for naught. Because Jesus, only Jesus matters. He's my focus now. And I would ask each and every one of us here in the family of faith, what's our focus? Where are we placing our focus? Because focus equals direction. If you don't believe that, you should have rode with my dad. Wherever he turned his head, that's where the car went. But, but it's actually true spiritually. Whatever has captured your mind and your attention is ultimately where you are going to lean and go. Paul said everything he thought was beneficial and good and profitable was loss. But those losses were nothing compared to the gain of Christ and knowing him fully. So then what does Paul do? Point number three, Paul pursues Christ and presses on to the goal in verses 12 through 14. I, I love this, this portion here in verse, verse 12. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I, I'm not there Lord knows I, I've got a ways yet to go, but I'm not there yet. Th thank God I'm not where I used to be. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm no longer where I used to be by God's grace. I've not arrived, but I'm closer today than I was yesterday. 
and a whole lot closer than when I first began this journey. Y'all ever travel with kids on a trip? The moment you pull out of the driveway, are we there yet? <laughs> nope, not yet. Still got a ways to go. But I think it's that, that part in a kid that knows there's somewhere we want to be. And can we get there already? Nope, we're not there yet. But we're making good progress. Each time they would ask the question, yeah, we're closer, but not there yet. And Paul says, I haven't gotten there yet, but forgetting what's in my rearview mirror, all of that garbage that I've been carrying around for years, all of those wasted efforts, even my successes and gains, all of those things that I thought were valuable, along with my failures and my tears and my striving, everything, I'm putting it behind me because I'm pressing on. I, I want to reach forward to what lies ahead. I, I don't want to deal with my starting point, and so I'm putting it in my rearview mirror, and I'm moving on, reaching for things that yet lie ahead. New experiences, new opportunities, the miracles, the, the increased intimacy that I have with Jesus that's out there, I'm reaching for it as I forget what's behind me. So I press on for the prize, keeping my eyes on the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, the finish line. I, I know where it is, and I'm, I'm striving for it. Do you remember a couple years back, there, there was a race in the Olympics, and, and there were a really closely fought competition. And, and the, the battle for gold and silver was neck and neck and the girl I can't remember what country she came from but as she approached the finish line she dove and won the gold I kind of sense that that may be what Paul's talking about press on strive for it lean into it dive for it it's there for the taking go after what Christ has come after you for and when I look back on my obstacle course debacle with Robbie, I realize it wasn't wasted. It wasn't for naught. Actually, what God was teaching me was a lesson on faith. That despite what the stopwatch said, I finished the race. Yeah, I got tripped up. Yeah, I got knocked down. I was bruised. I was bloody. There was no wind left in the body, but I got up and I dove into the finish line. I pursued the goal. I pressed on and crossed the line. Jesus told us, he said, listen, in this world, you're going to have trouble. There's going to be things that will knock you down. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be trials and tribulations. There's going to be time when you have the breath knocked out of you. But take heart. I've overcome the world. And what I think Jesus is telling us there is press on. No, no matter what the world throws at you, no matter what the enemy tries to do to steal your joy, press on. Press on, church. Because if you're breathing, he's not done. And even if you've had the breath knocked out of you, he's not done. At the end of the section here in the scripture, verse 15, 
Paul says something else, and it goes beyond our reading this morning. But Paul tells the church to have this mind in them. It's that same kind of phrase that he used, have this mind in you that was also in Christ. He finishes this entire section about how futile and worthless deeds of the flesh are and how encountering grace through faith and not effort has made the difference in his world and he's found it to be great gain and how he's not there yet, but he's pressing on. He tells the church, have this mind. Forget the past futile efforts based on your performance. Pursue Christ. Reach forward for him. Know him. Press on to the prize. And so as we are here, January the 1st, 2023, what do we need to do in order to press on toward the goal for the prize? To gain Christ and to know him better. Are there some things that we need to forget that lie behind us? Maybe things we thought meant something but really don't in the big scheme of things. Maybe there, there's some things like sin that we need to put in the rearview mirror. There's lack of commitments that we have kind of wavered at times in our relationship with Christ. Maybe there's bitterness or unforgiveness or, or maybe even pain there. Or the pursuit of lesser things, things of lesser importance. Maybe there's hurts or habits or hang-ups that just need to be forgotten as we press on to Christ. But I'm also thinking as there's things that we need to forget, there's also some things that we need to reach forward to, some things that lie ahead of us. For some, it may be accepting Christ, starting this faith walk, being baptized, and, and beginning the life of being a disciple of Christ. Maybe for some of us, we've already done that, but we need to press into a better prayer life. 21 days of prayer is coming up. Be a great opportunity there for us to step forward. Maybe it's, maybe it's a more sweet or uh, uh, an intimate, quiet time where we get to know Jesus and, and we get to know his heart. Perhaps it's joining a small group with supportive individuals that will push us on when when we're down and, and those who know when we get bloodied or beaten or when we're knocked the wind out the wind's been knocked out of us, those folks that'll get up and, and help us up and brush us off, you need a small group. You got one? Maybe we need to commit to serve in some capacity. We're missing out on the blessing of being part of the body of Christ. Maybe it's we need to step up and reach forward to sharing my faith, not just claiming a faith, but, but sharing it with somebody else. Just a moment ago, you were handed a piece of paper. It's blank. But I want us to refer to it as our press-on commitment. This is our press-on to know Christ commitment for 2023. And what I want you to do with that piece of paper is I want you to rip it in half. Okay? And on one side, one sheet, one piece of that paper, I want you to write down what you need to discard or forget or consider rubbish that needs to go away. And I want you to write it down. What is that one thing you need to forget so that you can press on toward Jesus? Forgetting what lies behind, Paul said, I'll press on. So what is it? 
that you need to forget? And then on the other sheet, what is one thing that you need to do to help you know Christ better? And I want you to write it down. Like I said, maybe, maybe it's accepting Christ and being baptized. Maybe it's pressing into a better prayer life or signing up to, to serve in some capacity. It could be any number of things that God has begun to lay on your heart. Here in a moment, we're going to have a time of communion. And as we respond to communion, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring the forgetting sheet with you to communion. Because those are the things for which Christ died. So that you can forget it as he has forgiven it. And moved it beyond and brought healing and, and help and wholeness to those places. And so as you receive communion, I want you to just walk by and place those sheets of forgetfulness, forgetting on the altar. It's our commitment to God starting 2023. And then the other sheet, the what I need to do, what I need to reach for, I want you to put that in your Bible or tuck it in your wallet or take it home and put it on your mirror or even better yet, the refrigerator. I see my refrigerator probably more than any other appliance in my house throughout the day it's, it's front and center for me so if I want to remember something I put it on the refrigerator but we're going to have a time here so that as God leads you you may place the regrettable and the forgetful things of your past on the altar and that you can press on to these other things that will make you a more fully developed and devoted follower of Jesus that's my prayer for our church, that this would be the year of pressing on for us, that 2023 would be the year that we press in to know Jesus and all that that means.